Thanks for tuning in to the V1 Church Podcast. Do you have questions about God, the church, or the Bible? In this podcast episode, we're kicking off our series, Q&R, Question and Response. Pastor Mike brings a powerful message and then takes some live questions from the audience. Enjoy the message. Well, come on. Can you put your hands together for all the people who are visiting with us today? What's up? If I haven't already scared you out of the auditorium, my name is Mike Signorelli, and for better or for worse, I'm the lead pastor here at this church, and we're starting a new series. Hey, have you ever heard that joke, uh, what was written on the atheist tombstone? All dressed up and no place to go. Was that bad? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, uh, I'm just going to, if you say it's funny, it's funny, right? If, I, if you're ever with me, and you say, and I start saying, that's crazy, that's funny, I checked out already. I'm just telling you straight, <laughs> Bree's laughing because she's like, he's done it to me. If I'm like, wow, that's crazy, like I'm gone. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, we're going to today, now bear with me, I've got a good 25 minutes, I don't have a tremendous amount of time, and I do have a lot of material to present to you, so do I have anyone who wants to engage with me, do you want to learn with me? Um, now, my, now listen, you know how when you go to Costco, like I'll just be straight up with you, I, the only reason I go to Costco is the free samples, anyone else? You get a whole meal, if you're hood rat status like me, you're like, kids are like, can we go to Chick-fil-A, we're about to go to Costco. And dad's going to, it's going to be free 99. Um, <laughs> but the whole point of the Costco experience of the free samples is to, in fact, get you to buy the product. So here's the reality. In 25 minutes, I can't do all of what I want to do. And so this is the Costco experience where you're like, man, that was great. I'm going to read the Bible for myself this week. I'm going to buy the product. I'm going to, man, that, that was so cool. Like, I'm going to do that moment where we all started singing out in our own voices. I'm going to do that on the way to work tomorrow morning. Is there anyone who will make a commitment to do something that crazy? Come on, you're already cussing people out on the road. Can you try blessings instead of curses, says the Lord? The prophetic people always need, says the Lord, before they believe it. Coming for you too, prophetic people. So whatever end of the spectrum you're on today, whether, no, let's be honest, you may be here because your mom forced you. I used to be that kid. Now I'm the lead pastor. Watch out what God can do. Uh, maybe you're here because somebody saw the promos we were running and said, you know, I would love to go to the kind of church that provokes, um, you know, people to, to ask questions. And, 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 you know, because here's what I learned about a question. It always comes out. A question always comes out. You know, and, and I don't want to give you my notes too soon, but um, we're going to really go there today. So let's just do it. Let me give you a lay of the land. First of all, I want there's a lot of talk about like what is the current state of spirituality in the United States? You know, where are we at? I want to uh, go to some of the most comprehensive studies that have been released in the last five, six, seven years and just give you real data real quick. Just front load this message with here's what's actually going on. Can I do that? OK. And so uh, here's here's the first uh, sort of study I was looking at. Comprehensive study in 2017 revealed that Islam is actually the fastest growing religion in the United States right now. Not the largest, but the fastest growing. So that was 2017. Uh, a religious forecast for 2050. Here's a good question. Where will you be in 2050? Some of us will still be here. 
my kids will certainly still be here. By 2050, a Pew Research, uh, the Pew Research Center concludes that global, the global Muslim population is expected to grow at a faster rate than the Christian population due primarily to young age and high fertility rates among Muslims. So by 2050, uh, that's anticipated to happen. Isn't it funny how the church has such an ageism against young people? And yet it, it, becomes one of the, um, the, it becomes one of the accelerating factors in Islam is their youth and, and their fertility rates. Um, only Pastor Chase Fleeman's helping us out in that department here. He's doing his duty for God and country. Thank you. <laughs> you didn't think statistics would be funny. You didn't come to Papa Sig's class yet. So here's the conclusion that I drew as I uh, scoured for this data. Uh, at its current trajectory, at its current trajectory, Christianity is losing ground in the U.S. to primarily two um, other beliefs or non-beliefs, I guess, but it's Islam and irreligion or what, this, what they say in the research is unaffiliation. Okay, so the deeper conclusion is on an individual level, people are persuaded most by the community that they identify with, either the one that they were born into or the one that they feel that they have the most commonality with. Did I lose you yet? Can I go deep today? All right, you're just gonna have to listen a couple times if you didn't get it. But really, when you look at the data, I initially started to study for this series with the presupposition that what the United States is up against is atheism. But did you know that less than 7% of all people in this nation actually identify as an atheist or an agnostic? Can I just differentiate between the two terms? Atheism is, is when somebody will say, um, I do not believe that God exists. There's a level of certainty to it. To be an agnostic simply means that you can neither, you believe that based on all of the data that we currently have available, you can neither confirm nor deny the existence of God. And it's inconclusive. And only 7% of people in the entire United States who were like polled in, in, in these surveys that were done actually reported being in either one of those categories. But over 22% actually said, I'm unaffiliated, unaffiliated. You know, we've got this new thing happening in the church right now where people don't want to be called Christians anymore because of all the connotations of Christianity. They actually say, I'm a Christ follower. Have you heard that? I'm a Christ follower. And I think it's a lot, it's a lot like this. You know, it's like the starter pack for life. You know, you can look at someone and say, that whole outfit's from H&M, right? You can look at someone else, right? And you could say, that, that's a Zara guy. That's Zara guy. <laughs> Or so are those guys that wear the drug rugs that you get from the gas station? What are those things called? They're like Native Americans, uh, 21st century Native Americans. You know, but it's like you can tell what music someone looks like by the way they look, right? Big gauges, piercings, probably emo, maybe some hardcore in there, but we know that you sing and scream. Um, you know... <laughs> Am I right? It, you're laughing, kid, because we are walking cliches. All of us um, are ripping off a genre. We do it in music. We do it in our clothing. We do it in our church services. Oh, I get it. You guys are a blend between Bethel and Hillsong. You know, it's like we have created the, the starter pack phenomenon. And, but that's always been that way. And what, what's happening now is people are unaffiliating because they're saying, I don't identify with 
that particular group, or I don't, and here's another way of saying it, I don't want the negative connotations of being associated with them, okay? Uh, I'm going to read the Bible for everyone who's judging me right now for being a lead pastor and not reading the Bible, but I'm going to save it for the end, um, because I primarily wrote this message for those of you who don't believe in the Bible, and for those of you that believe that it's fairy tales, and it's... um, It's akin to what your parents told you about the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. Um, I really wrote this for you, and I want you to sense an extreme um, amount of empathy and compassion in the way that I'm trying to present this message, because about 20 years ago, um, I desperately needed a message like this, and I was in your seat, not on the stage. And uh, I was wrestling with a lot of stuff. So we're going to kind of keep deep, uh, deep diving here, okay? So if you're taking notes, there's, there's mechanisms to unbelief. So if I were to dismantle unbelief and look at it as a machine, what would be the mechanisms by which it functions? So I'm going to break down just two of them this week, okay? So number one is people say that they experience God. Now, if you are here... And we had that crazy worship moment just now where I'm singing and I start screaming and getting emotional and you don't believe any of this is true. Here's how you're, you're looking around like, wow, these people are crazy. That's the negative, right? Now, if you're a real intellectual, because the true hallmark of intellectualism is about being open-minded and willing to learn new things, right? Like people who are like, well, I'm intellectual, but I would never go to your church. You're not a true intellectual. That's just real talk. I mean, I ended up being a... Um, undergraduate professor, and I taught world religions as an elective course and would go to Islamic services, Jewish cultural centers. I would participate in all these things with a true open mind about whether or not there could be something of value in the community or in the belief. And so when people tell me like, well, my friend doesn't want to go to church. Uh, I keep inviting them, but they claim to be an intellectual. I'm like, well, true intellectualism is about a pursuit of knowledge. And you'd want to show up to get more knowledge out of a a ferocious curiosity. And so I I challenge you to stay hungry and stay curious. Um, So, but the mechanisms of unbelief uh, primarily is this. Number one is in church. So people say, I experience God. And so how do we experience God? The first big way I want to deal with is we experience God through church. Like that's what people say. Well, go to church. You'll feel something. You'll experience something. Something will be made real to you if you can get in that atmosphere. And, and so this is what we've told people for the last 2,000 years. Uh, if you believe it, when Christ ascended to heaven and left the Holy Spirit and commissioned us to do greater things than he did. So let me give you some benefits of experiencing God through church. Number one is it, there's strength in community through shared resources. So partly the reason why from from more of like an anthropological perspective or a sociological perspective, church continues to thrive everywhere in the world because when we get together, we share resources. And people here have helped you get a job. People here have helped watch your kids for you, praise God, so you can go on a date with somebody. Like getting together, we share resources. So that's a benefit. Here's another one. A source of empathy and caring for all generations. You know, I bet you, if you looked hard enough in this room, you would find somebody in the same season of life. Actually, it's one of the things I love 
about our church most is that you will find somebody in your season who can walk you through it. That's the strength of experiencing God through church. Here's another one. Uh, able to affect large-scale change through our unity. I mean, Anthony says on the video, like, yo, we're going to get together and we are going to make a reality where 150 families are not going to go without Christmas. That's powerful. Like, people who don't even believe God exists are like, I'm down for that, right? And so there's a strength in experiencing God through church. Here's the last one. It reveals the nature and person of Christ through human beings. See, God does this thing, I believe, where he hides attributes and characteristics of himself inside of people. And by virtue of getting to know that person, you, you get to know an element of God. It's a beautiful thing. I didn't know God could be gentle until I got a wife because I'm not gentle. You know, literally, my wife would be like, you Hulk smash in life, everything, pens, phones, everything, the steering wheel, rah, right? But there's this element of, of gentleness in my wife. I believe it's an attribute of God. I get to know God by getting to know people. There's, there's little, little hints. We are created, the Bible says, in his image and likeness, which means the reason for diversity is he was spreading out his attributes real well. Now, can I give you the drawbacks to experiencing God through church? I don't even have to. Probably you can preach this better than I can because it's a miracle that you're even here. Do you know that when our church got up over 200 people maybe a year and a half ago that we ended up at that moment becoming bigger than over 85% of churches in America now? This is real talk. This isn't like, oh, it's a big church for a lot. It's like, no, this is, this is where we're at. It, meanwhile, Islam and unaffiliation continue to expand at a rapid pace. So here's one of the drawbacks to affiliation or with the church, experiencing God through church. Uh, religious communities being infiltrated by selfish ambition and being exploited. I'll put it like this. This church, I'm a shepherd. If you're a sheep, you're allowed. If you're a wolf, I'm coming for you. I'm just telling you straight up. I'm a shepherd. Like this place is, is the best place in the world for sheep. It's, I'm your worst nightmare if you're a wolf. If you have selfish ambition, this is not the place for you. And, and actually, people have had churches infiltrated by those who have such selfish ambition that they just run rush out over all of people's dreams and hopes and expectations. And I mean, I'll be, can I be really real? How real can I be? I got five minutes. I had a meeting for a space I wanted to get to down the street. The guy looked at me in the eyes. This happened two days ago. It was one of the most discouraging days I had out here so far. I mean, I wanted this space. It would have been a perfect fit for us. The guy I meet says, I'm Baptist. I'm like, no way. We're pretty much Baptist too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hey, it's closer than some other religions. <laughs> and, and, and we started talking, and, and it seemed like it was going to work. And then all of a sudden he looks at me, and he says, I don't know if I trust you. I just got done taking my pastor to court for the last two years. Nightmare. What do I say to him? How do I prove to him who I am? I mean, it took me the last two and a half years to prove to some of you guys who I am, and you still don't believe some of it. So it's like, how do I prove it to a guy in a meeting in three minutes? But this is the reality. Can I keep going? Um, here's another one, hypocrisy. I'm just going to call it like I see it. This is one of the drawbacks of affiliation with church and experiencing God through church. Uh, people feeling the cultural or familiar pressure to participate in the religious community but not really believing it. So here's what happens. Your parents are Greek Orthodox, so you feel like you have to go to Greek Orthodox church. And you sit through it, you don't believe it, and then you live your life in the complete opposite direction of what was said in that service. Same thing with Catholicism, Judaism, Christianity, you call it. It's 
just there is a level of hypocrisy that's exposed when you look down the aisle and say, this person really doesn't believe this because I'm friends with them even though they have a closed Instagram account, uh, but I could see their stories. <laughs> and their stories and the Bible stories are not the same. <laughs> Last one, religious ide- ideology is holding back elements of the nature of God through dogma and ritual. I felt like I came out under such Holy Spirit inspiration while I was writing this. But one of the dangers of experiencing God through church is that our rituals don't leave room for the God that we say we're worshiping. The way in which we do what we do doesn't, you know how many people have been hurt? Intelligent people who say, wait a second, you want me to believe that this God split a sea led a whole nation of people through a wilderness with a physical manifestation of fire and clouds. But he hasn't done a miracle in a long time. He can't heal my loved one from cancer. He can't, so, so he can do those things then, but he just retired after the scriptures were written. And intelligent people have seen that, they've seen that dissonance between what we say and what we see. And, and in that gap, we lose them. You know what I love about V1 Church is this whole church was started on miracles. <laughs> and we just said, we don't have a ritual because we're not that good at church yet. <laughs> we don't see a biblical prescription for always how we do what we do. Can I give you another way in which we experience God? And I believe this is going to bring some healing to people. One of the ways that we say we experience God is through our five senses. So if you're here and you're saying like, you know, let me, here's some phrases. Let me give you the benefits. This is my one. When I encounter the Holy Spirit in in like some kind of measure of his glory, the biblical definition of glory means the nature of God. Actually, there's a weightiness to it. And the Jewish understanding is that the nature of God would leave an imprint. So wherever God was would actually mark you. And so in the moments where I feel like I've had an encounter, like a physical manifestation of God's presence, I feel chills on my body. Does anyone ever feel chills? Okay. Um, here's another one. My wife, and I'm just saying this for the top, for the sake of the topic. My wife had an encounter when she was uh, a teenager at a camp where they were worshiping. And this is what a a little over a hundred people in Indiana have this collective experience where during a worship set, a kid noticed a big blue angelic figure outside and actually turn and, and started telling everyone there is something outside, like a, a, a spiritual manifestation of an angel. And they looked out and there's a hundred people th- to this day that all claim that they saw that as teenagers. That's a visual experience that, that they had, right? And so when you say that you experience God through a, one of your five senses, some of the benefits to that is it can, you, it can give you this overwhelming confirmation where you're like, this is not a coincidence. Those chills are a sign. This thing I think I saw is a sign. And you're trying to like read and interpret that. Are you guys following me? Um, and, and it can maybe reveal a higher function even for your biological responses. I mean, we know that we have tears in our eyes too for a scientific function, but explain crying. <laughs> explain why we cry. And sometimes you're in a service and you just get overwhelmed with emotion. You begin to cry. You know, I have a band accompanying me right now. And if I talk with a certain, if I talk with a certain level of my voice and do all the preacher tricks, I can probably make you feel something right now. 
One of the reasons why I preach so much on the streets of Ridgewood is because it's healthy for me as a preacher to do this without a band accompanying me to see if the power is really real. I actually preach more sermons a week in the, in, my, in the streets around my neighborhood than I ever will on any stage. And I hope that's always true about my life. And I tell you, it's funny getting rejected as much as you do when you don't have a band behind you. And I'm just saying this because here's the drawbacks of experiencing God through your five senses. Even when we say the question, God, but Julie saw some angelic manifestation when she was a teenager. If I could see something like that, I would know. Even that, that desire, even that question comes from a place of privilege. Because if God chose to manifest himself only visually, would that essentially mean that every blind person on the planet could not know God? Even when we say God, you know, you hear Christians say, I hear God. I've never heard God in an audible voice. I've changed a lot of the language to say, I feel an impression. Could this be right? Because I don't want this to be a cult leader status. I, I wanna be the kind of guy, I feel an impression. But I, I don't know that I've heard it, but it doesn't mean God can't do that. And for people who say, God, speak to me in an audible voice, even that demand, it comes from a place of privilege because does that mean to be physically deaf? You cannot hear God and know God? Could it be that God is both existing in and through our five senses all at the same time, with or without them, upon his choosing? Could it be in his wisdom he reveals himself in the way that's best to each one of us? Could it be that his plan about how he reveals his nature is so much better than what we think we want or need? Could there be wisdom? And you know, I have two daughters, and I'll tell you, let me give you the percentage. I'm going to give you some real science right now. Here's the percentage of how much my daughters think I know what I know. Zero. Because I have to put them in timeout and discipline them because every time I ever tell them to do something, they don't believe that I know the best way yet. And if, if God deals with us and engages with us in any way, like I engage with my daughters who I know love me, we have a hard time believing that he actually has it figured out more than us. And so I just want to close with this. There's people who are basically saying, well, I've never experienced the chills, the tears. I've never heard anything. I never saw anything. So therefore, God's not real. Or they're saying the church is so broken selfish ambition is infiltrated so how could this possibly be God's plan A and they unaffiliate and they leave and I guess this message is for you if 22% of people in America are in that category I believe that's the 22% that's going to experience revival in the next 10 years it's going to be those who say just because and it's a movement man when I walk around now I see dads I never seen this many dads before I'm being serious I've never seen this there's have you guys felt a cultural shift in fatherhood I think it's paralleling with what's getting ready to happen in the local church because people are saying just because my dad messed it up doesn't mean that fatherhood is messed up 
And I think that people are going to rise up and say, just because people misinterpreted what the heavenly father said doesn't mean that his fatherhood is messed up or distorted. There's still a way to have church and affiliate and have the strength of the community that he died for called the local church. Can I just give you one more revelation before we close out? Do I have a little bit more time? Okay, two people. I'm preaching to you two now. Everyone else is getting wrecked. I feel it. Here's the scripture text I want us to focus on. First of all, Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Jesus said a radical statement. Now understand, go to Brooklyn where the whole block is Jewish. You're going to see them live a life radically different than the one that you live. Jesus was contextualizing an environment crazier than that. And, and here's the deal, because there was no Western influence. And so Jesus looks at these guys who follow hundreds of rules a day and have memorized every single one of those rules and regulations. Some of them believe it, some of them don't, but they all live culturally in this certain way. Then you have Roman occupation, which is another ethnic identity intertwined with it. And they hate the Jewish people. And he literally looks at these people, the professionally religious people, the ones that really knew how to do church life. Some of you, I'm just gonna really stab you with the word right now. You all, you're really just a professional Christian. And you just got really good at sounding like a church person. But this is your season to finally bear fruit. Because you have not bore fruit or fruit that remains. And he looks at these religious, because I think it's easy, oh, look at the Pharisees. I love when Jesus caps the Pharisees, but nobody ever says, well, who's the Pharisee in me? And I believe that Jesus is saying this again. So hear me when I say this. To the professionally religious people, he said the tax collectors. You know the tax collectors? The ones that the Romans hate, but they work for Rome. And, and you know the tax collectors who actually take advantage of their own people? It, it would be like being racist against your own race. That's what a tax collector was. You know those people? Hey, and you know the prostitutes? The ones who have sex for money? The ones that give their bodies because they feel like their bodies are worthless? The ones who have given up hope of having a family so they trade them with many lovers? See, it's easy to think you're not a prostitute till you start defining prostitution. You know the ones who show up to work every day to do something they hate? The ones who stop believing that there was something more? You feel it? The prostitutes and the tax collectors, the ones who hate their own people and hate everyone else, the ones who were so rejected that all they could do is reject everyone else. You know those people? This is what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 31. He said, the tax collectors and the prostitutes enter the kingdom of heaven before you do. Can I tell you why? Because they see the need. They see the need. The story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Let me read this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was the main one. He was the chief tax collector. And he was wealthy from taking advantage of his own ethnic and religious community. Paraphrases added by me. <laughs> he wanted to see who Jesus was. Stop, stop. That's it. You, you could have kept reading, but you would have missed it. The only thing that qualified him to advance past all the professionally religious people is he wanted to see Jesus. 
He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted, he wanted, I want, I want, I want it, I want, I want it. I want to see Jesus. That was it. Something shifted in his heart. You know, an arrhythmia doesn't mean that your heart's not beating. It just simply means it's beating out of sync. There's an arrhythmia in the people today of our nation. And God's getting ready. And all they're going to say is, I want to see. I don't want a religious affiliation. I don't want to join a church. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to even attach myself to it because I don't know if I trust those people. But I want to see Jesus. I want to know because when they were privately asked if they were an atheist, most of them didn't say that they were an atheist. They said, I'm just unaffiliated. And here's what Jesus said. He saw the unaffiliated tax collector. And he says this, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to Zacchaeus who had climbed this tree and he said, I must stay at your house today. Here's a scriptural truth. And I never saw this until I studied for this message. The scriptural truth is this. The Romans hated this guy. They were using him. They were pimping this guy. We got a Jewish guy dumb enough to work for us to rip his own people off. The Jews looked at him and hated him back and said, this guy's an idiot. I, I can't. So his home, and I never saw this before last week, would have been the loneliest home in that town. It would have been the loneliest home. He would have been hated by everyone misunderstood by everyone. And so for Jesus to say, so you know what I like about Jesus? Jesus didn't say, hey, come to church on Sunday. Jesus didn't say, hey, as soon as you stop cussing so much, hey, Zacchaeus, go home and change your clothes, cover those tattoos up. Hey, Zacchaeus, you see how everyone's acting, all these Jewish people, start acting more like them and then I'll come back and see if you've changed. You know what Jesus said? I must. I must go into the loneliest place, the place that you don't even decorate because you know no one's coming over. I want to go into that space and, and I want to know you and I want you to know me. And I think that the voice of Jesus is still crying out because he understands that rejected people reject people. And, and yet we invite people to church, but what would happen if we became like Jesus and invited ourselves into the loneliest places of people's lives and said, I must go there. See, everyone's like, man, we want to be here. I want to go here. What if the destination that our heart longed for the most as a true Christ follower, a true believer, what if the thing that you saved all your money to purchase tickets to the thing that you got on a bus or a subway or got into an Uber or got into your car was to show up to the loneliest place of someone's life and say, let me be Jesus there. Let me be Jesus there. I don't know that I proved to you that God exists in the last 25 minutes, but I think that I proved that he is living inside of some people in this room right now the same spirit that resurrected him from the grave is inside of somebody in this room right now. And they have a holy desire to know you and to go into the loneliness of your life. 
and to show you the Jesus that I believe that your heart is longing for. Maybe it's you taking a step of boldness and signing up for a connect group and saying, I'm gonna meet at a Panera. I'm gonna meet at, at some place. I'm gonna give myself. I'm gonna find that spot where I can know God. Maybe it's in a connect group. Maybe it's showing up. I don't know what it means, but maybe it's getting someone's phone number before we leave this space and saying, you know your home where you're the only person who dared to go to church today because nobody else believes it and you took a risk. I wanna go to the lonely place. I wanna go to the place of rejection. You know the place that you hide from people? I want to go there. Would you just close your eyes? If there's someone here who's saying, I'm a Zacchaeus today. Heard that story a million times in church. But Zacchaeus has become a spirit over this nation. And it's going to take the kind of Jesus people who say, I must, I must go into your home. If you're here and you're saying, I just want to see Jesus. I don't know what it even means to see him because what is that, a vision with my own biological eyes? Is it an impression I feel in my emotions? I don't know what that means, but I know that I want to step into the void of the unknown. I know that what I've been believing and been thinking isn't working for me anymore. And I believe that Jesus died I believe that, and that he rose again three days later to save me. If you're that Zacchaeus, would you just lift your hand right now? Is there anyone here? There's some hands, so let's just pray together. Just borrow my words. Heavenly Father, you could just whisper this, you can yell it, just make it your own. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross where my sins were forgiven, but more importantly, I was brought into relationship with you. Teach me your love. Teach me your ways. Give me your heart. Come into the lonely places. I want to know you. Give me strength to know your people and to come into this community. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Amen. Well, hey, don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. I want to hit up the house lights. We're going to do something with just like five more minutes. It's something that I thought would be really risky. Can we take a five minute risk? Anyone? Okay. So pull up the lights if you have to. We asked you guys to write some questions. And often I'll spend the next five to 10 minutes meeting people on, on the, you know, through that exit door. But I thought it'd be cool to actually take some of those questions right now before we leave, just five more minutes and see if we can have a moment in this place today. It's kind of different, something we haven't done. So Evan, you've had an opportunity to kind of go through some of these cards and check some of these questions. So yes, sir. let's yes, uh, sir. see got if we got any good anything. Ones. We got some good ones. Thank you all for submitting your questions. Uh, so Pastor Mike, number one. Oh, awesome. Shout out production team. We got some light <laughs> here. Um, we got a question that says, I have friends who are spiritual but the biggest barrier is getting them to come and try a church experience because they're skeptical of organized religion. How do I get them to give church a try? I think the dumbest thing that you can do is tell them, I promise my church is different. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've counseled uh, women who are in battered, battered women from abusive relationships. And it's like trying to tell a woman who was abused for years, I promise not every guy's like that. They're not going to believe you. Or someone who has a scar from a dog who mauled their face, and you're like, I promise dogs are not scary. Um, 
I think that the best thing that you can do is keep being Jesus to them, loving them well, praying for them, and be consistent. Because the way that well, consistency wins the day. You know what I mean? I'm doing it with every single person who joins our church. It's just being consistent. Every week, you're gonna see me. Every week, I'm gonna keep doing it. And I think that that happens. And then, and then I will say sometimes the, the most loving thing you could do is challenge them and say, you know, I wanna challenge you. Like, we've been going on this journey together. Like, you know, you trust me. Maybe you don't trust church, but you trust me. Would you at least be willing to challenge yourself and try it? That's so good, Pastor Mike. Wasn't that so good? So good. All right, we got another one. It says, what should I do if I'm in a conversation with my friend who isn't a Christian and they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? <laughs> okay, th no, this, listen, I've read the Bible several times through and that still happens to me. Let me tell you what not to do. Don't fake it. Don't make an answer up. I think actually where the church lost so much of our ground is that we pretended like we had all the answers and well-meaning like well people did that. I mean, I'm not saying it was evil, but people are like, yeah, you know, the Lord's just gonna, you know, and they just start making stuff up. And uh, people of higher intelligence were like, we know you don't know. I just think it's radical transparency. And here's the other thing. People don't always want leaders, they, but they do always want friends. So sometimes the posture you can take is, you know what? I don't know, you wanna find out together? Let's, let's do this together. You know what that I'm saying? So Let's go good. on this journey together. Let's read a book together, or I'll find out and get back to you, you know, that kind of thing. Wow, that is so powerful, man. I feel equipped. I, I feel <laughs> way more equipped for my next conversation. Uh, anyways, we got it up, a couple Evan. more, Pastor Mike. We got, um, my friends are highly educated, and the stereotype is that Christians are dumb and uneducated. How do you break free from that perception? <laughs> I would say if they are truly intelligent, they're not calling people dumb. Um... <laughs> But you know what? Change your circles. When I was, okay, so everyone I ever encountered in the church was super Pentecostal from birth till 18. So all I knew was screaming, shouting, rolling, all this madness. And when I was going through my atheistic phase, I changed my circles. I actually had some friends who introduced me to, um, like for example, in the early 2000s, there was a movement in the discipline of astrophysics of, of people coming to Christ as a result of the Hebrew account of creation aligning with what they were discovering in that era. So I changed my circles. I'm like, oh man, Dr. Hugh Ross is an astrophysicist who's also a Christian. So they're not all like the people that I was raised around. But then the benefit is there's sometimes you don't need an astrophysicist. There's sometimes you need an old church mother to throw some anointing oil on you and believe God for a miracle. Amen. And so I, I think it's like change your circles or a better way of saying it, expand your circles. There are Christians out there that are speaking the language that's going to satiate your intellect, your mind, your soul. Just got to find them. And it's easier now than it was in the early 2000s to find them. And that is so good. We got one more, Pastor Mike. Uh, it says, I want to study the Bible, but there are so many bogus theologies and ideas out there. Amen, amen. How do you know what's Whoever right? Whoever wrote that, see me for a few in college. <laughs> How do you know what's right and what's wrong when you're studying the Bible? Okay, that's a really good question because, I don't know, I don't have the time for this, but when I go to Ukraine, for example, somehow the theology was perpetuated in Ukraine that when you get a tattoo, this is what they teach because they've told it to me repeatedly that when the needle goes into your skin, it opens that puncture wound and demons enter your bloodstream. That's what they believe. 
So when they see someone like me or most Americans, they, they're like instantly, this person's demon possessed. So there is, a, and these are a really good Christian people who love God. So here's what I try to do, okay? I don't know if you all know this, but like our podcast and everything, I have multiple layers of accountability of people who listen to it for theology. And I actually um, submitted myself to streams outside of my own for sort of an inter-accountability. And uh, it's been really good for me and really healthy, which means that whether it's me or any other pastor from V1 communicating, that it's safe. You know what I mean? Um, and it's been vetted out. It's been, people are le leaning in and listening. And so the V1 Church podcast, not to plug our own thing, but you are right. There's a lot of crazy stuff being said. Um, we've tried really hard to not be another crazy voice. And then we put out the notes for the sermons. We put out all these additional resources. And then again, it so sounds like a shameless plug, but even the connect groups where we're digging deeper in the books and things like that, we're trying to curate content. So I would say like lean into what this house is doing because we have people in their 60s and 70s who have uh, ministries that have been successful for decades that are listening to the podcast and sharing it's accurate theologically. We have a lot of accountability factors here. So if it's me, Pastor Kiel, Pastor Evan, uh, you know, any one of us, you can kind of bank on that. Cool? Yeah, so good. Come on, can we give a, give a big thank you to Pastor Mike for fielding those questions? So good. Thanks again for tuning in to the V1 Church Podcast. We know that we all have questions about God, and we also know that He doesn't always give us the answer that we want, but He does give us a response. So if you know anybody who struggles with questions or doubt, go ahead and share this podcast episode with them. And we'll see you next time.